from the Heritage Foundation. I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. Just close your eyes for a second and remember where you were at 9 a.m. on September 11th, 2001. For those who can remember, it was unreal. The first hit was confusion, but after the second, third, and fourth planes came down, It was clear this was coordinated. And those behind it were completely determined to destroy our way of life as free people. Everything had changed. It was soon after we learned that Osama bin Laden leader of the terrorist network Al-Qaeda, was responsible for the attacks. And with that, President Bush made clear our intentions to bring justice. Osama bin Laden is just one person. He he is representative of of networks of people who who absolutely have made their, their cause to defeat the freedoms that we we take that, that we understand and we will not allow him to do so i want him hell i want i want justice and uh uh there's an old poster out west as i recall that said wanted dead or alive well time passed and the war on terror continued but osama bin laden remained on the lam until 2011 when this happened tonight I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of al-Qaeda, and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. The raid of Osama bin Laden's compound in Pakistan by our brave Navy SEALs took the life of bin Laden and his eldest son. But documents uncovered in the raid showed that bin Laden's other son, Hamza, was still alive, and it suggested that he was being groomed to lead al-Qaeda. Hamza bin Laden became a voice for al-Qaeda and repeatedly called for and supported acts of terrorism against the U.S. and our allies around the world. But through recent releases from the U.S. government, it's likely that Hamza has been killed and the U.S. played a part in it. Breaking news, ABC News confirming reports that the son of Osama bin Laden is believed to be dead. Hamza bin Laden was seen as the eventual heir to his father's leadership of al-Qaeda. The U.S. State Department, in fact, had offered a $1 million reward for his capture. This week, we're curious as to what this means for America's ongoing effort to eliminate the threat of terrorism both here and abroad. How are we doing against extremists? Is the death of Hamza bin Laden the nail in the coffin for Al-Qaeda? What does this say about our safety in a post-9-11 world? To help answer these questions is Robin Simcox. 
He's the Margaret Thatcher Fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. And this week, he explains. Robin, thank you so much for being with us uh, this week. Great pleasure to be with you. So just catch us up a bit. Since the death of Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda has, it's, it's kind of been quiet. You haven't heard much from them. Um, what, what's been going on with them, and, and would you consider them a threat to the U.S.? Well, I think they've been quiet in terms of plots targeting the U.S. homeland. That's certainly true. Actually, in terms of their activity as an organization, they've been very busy. They've been very active in Syria, very active in Yemen, very active in Somalia, very active in parts of North Africa. Um, You could argue that in terms of pure numbers, Al-Qaeda is probably bigger today than it ever has been. But I think there has been a strategic shift by the group to focus on building up its strength in certain countries and involving itself in sort of local insurgencies um, that have strengthened the group overall, but have made it, sure, less visible to us here in the US because they've not been trying the kind of spectacular 9-11 style attacks. That doesn't mean they're not a threat or it doesn't mean they can't make that strategic shift again to start targeting the US homeland. It just means they're a slightly different organization to the one that we traditionally understood on 9-11. So where is this, um, is it centrally located or is it just kind of dispersed all throughout the, the world? Well, I think there's there's definitely been a dispersal and I think that's been a deliberate uh, ploy. So there is the Al-Qaeda senior leadership, Ayman Zawahiri, the, the emir of the group, uh, most likely in Pakistan, although of course we don't know exactly where. Um, there's certainly parts of the leadership still in Afghanistan. But yeah, other, other senior leaders have been dispersed around the world. And I think it's probably a quite effective way of doing it because the US knows it can't really just target one specific country or one specific region. Al-Qaeda has a presence much, much more broadly spread throughout Asia and the Middle East and Africa. Recently, we've been hearing about Hamza bin Laden. Who is that? So Hamza bin Laden is the uh, son of Osama bin Laden. Um, He was appearing on uh, a lot of al-Qaeda propaganda recently, um, threatening attacks against the US, uh, Saudi Arabia and and other and Western countries. Um, But there is speculation that he may now have been killed. Uh, US intelligence, obviously speaking on background, have been been saying to the press that they, they think they got him at some point in the last two years. Um, which would be a a significant moment. He was kind of seen as the next generation of al-Qaeda's potential leadership. They were certainly uh, pushing him much more from a propaganda point of view. And so if the US was to have killed bin Laden's son, that would be a a step forward. Yeah, you said, uh, uh, quote, almost certainly dead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, that's a big if um, kind kind of a thing, you know, if he is still alive. So... Is it just that um, we can't divulge information because of intelligence sensitivity, that kind of stuff? Or how come we can't confirm this? Yes. Well, this is where we begin to get a little bit into the realm of speculation. Um, There hasn't been... Al-Qaeda haven't confirmed he's dead. Normally, they would do so. They would issue a statement and and eulogy for him. They haven't. So that's significant. There is obviously enough certainty within elements of the U.S. government for multiple people to come out to multiple outlets, multiple uh, multiple officials to speak on background to multiple outlets saying they think they got him. Now, of course, because they haven't given a precise date or a precise location, that means that there's a lot of this that seems to have been a bit of guesswork. And, you know, we never really ultimately know what the, what the intelligence community chooses to share and what it doesn't, 
there's a whole host of things that can go in the mix for that that's sort of tough to speculate on. But there's obviously been enough confidence within uh, the intelligence community that they felt that they could make these, give this information to select journalists. We're going to get back to my interview with Robin in just a second, but I just wanted to share. The other day, I was uh, after I woke up and got ready for work, I got into my car and turned on uh, the radio, and the news was playing in the background, and it just it was frustrating. I I couldn't stand the gatekeepers choosing the stories for me. And and most of it was negative. Most of it was anti-conservative ideas. And it, it, it just it was kind of a, a a moment of clarity when I realized that the Daily Signal podcast is the total antidote to everything else out there uh, in the news world. The Daily Signal podcast covers the news that conservatives need to hear about, and they do it in a way that would never be covered in the mainstream media. So I just wanted to challenge you to go check out the Daily Signal podcast. It really is that kind of voice of sanity when you're on your way into work and you can get those good headlines and get some good interviews and good commentary on what the heck is going on out there. So again, it's the Daily Signal podcast. Go check it out. Okay, back to my discussion with Robin. So we keep hearing the word groomed. Um, eventually if you're being groomed for something, you, um, eventually have to take over. So did he ever take over in in terms of, um, you know, running operations, um, for Al Qaeda or was it just kind of, he, he never got to that point? Well, not as far as we know. Um, again, what we know is, is, is naturally limited on this, but, um, we don't know he was a senior leader within Al Qaeda. Um, he wasn't the head of any of their regional franchises, and of course, I mean this is this guy's essentially like Al Qaeda royalty, right? So it's not as if he had a a long history on the battlefield fighting. I mean, he was a generally a pretty privileged son, privileged in in relative terms to, of of Osama bin Laden, um, and so. That's why I think it's sort of important that we also don't go over the top on the on the importance of killing Hamza bin Laden. It is a it is an important moment. He was definitely being pushed forward for something by Al Qaeda because he was appearing more and more in their propaganda, and there was some relevance there. But we don't know for sure what exactly his role was within the group, um, or what it would have been in the future. Shifting gears, I want to get into ideology here just just a little bit. Can you explain to our listeners just just maybe encapsulate a little bit, what is their problem with America and other Western countries? What What is their big uh, problem toward us and our way of life? Okay, so uh, the uh, basic idea behind Islamist ideology that animates groups like Al-Qaeda and groups like ISIS um, is that Islam is a not just a religion, but entire holistic political system uh, that needs to be imposed that there needs to be the creation of a caliphate, which is what ISIS obviously created in Syria and Iraq recently, where uh, Sharia law will be the governance of the land. And uh, there is an understanding that there is essentially a land of uh, a land of Islam and a land of disbelief. And the land of disbelief is ultimately what the US represents. Um, it is a, it, they call it the, you know, the crusader Zionist alliance, which is how they regard the US and the UK and countries that work alongside it against them. So there's the kind of theological and religious element to it. Then there's also a often misunderstood and conspiracy theory uh, politicized understanding of it in that they believe that the US 
in uh, its support for uh, countries and regimes in, like, say, Jordan or Saudi Arabia um, or Egypt in the past is essentially propping up authoritarian regimes that are preventing the spread of Islam in the region. So if you attack the U.S., if you were to bring down the U.S. government, all these local regimes they prop up would fall too, is their basic theory. You mentioned ISIS. Can you uh, explain to me the difference between al-Qaeda and ISIS? Yes. Al-Qaeda is, uh, ISIS is essentially an offshoot of al-Qaeda. ISIS was formerly al-Qaeda in Iraq, which was formed in 2004 um, by a, a man called Abu Musab al-Zarqawi. Uh, there was a uh, disagreement, to cut a long story short, between uh, the ranks of al-Qaeda's senior leadership and al-Qaeda in Iraq and Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, uh, was essentially expelled from al-Qaeda and, and ended up forming this is Islamic State of Iraq and al-Sham as it became. Um, and and that was the group that sort of swept through uh, Iraq from the north going down and also had this presence in Syria. You said, um, and, and this is back to ideology here, and, and I really do appreciate you explaining sort of where they're coming from. And and you said in your recent piece, which I'm linking to uh, in the show notes, everyone, so please check it out, uh, quote, the Islamist threat will come to an end only when the ideas that animate the movement are entirely discredited. Unfortunately, that's the area where much work still remains to be done, both in the U.S. and beyond. So my question to you is, how do we do this? Yeah, it's the the ultimate. The, the ultimate. There are some things that are in our control and some things that are not. Out of our control is the fact that this is largely a civil war within Islam, and we are not that important to that war. We're a bit part player. There's things we can do to improve the situation and things that we can do that will slightly aggravate it. But ultimately, this is something that will be uh, that w- it will be litigated within the faith itself. Um, and we hope that the extremist al-Qaeda ISIS elements are ultimately the, the losers within this civil war. But I think there are things that we can do within the, the US, the UK and, and other Western governments to help this. I think the US should be looking to work with, encourage, bolster, help form the organizations, the groups, the individuals, the movements that represent the face of Islam that we want to win in this civil war. The uh, the reformists and those who work alongside us and who have worked alongside us for many years, who represent the the best faith of that religion and those that groups like Al Qaeda despise, we can do stuff to support those those guys. And that that's not gonna that's not the only game in town. It's not going to be ultimately what uh, decides the fate of this civil war within the faith. But I think it's something that we could do that would help. How has the Trump administration been so far in, in dealing with this? If you could give them, uh, you know, a, a, a score or report card. I guess if, if you go to the military and the ideological, on the military side, the caliphate's been broken in Iraq and Syria. Certainly an important moment. Key uh, terrorists have been targeted and killed. Obviously, possibly Hamza bin Laden and other key bomb makers in Yemen. The ideological side of things, I, I don't think it's necessarily the Trump administration's... Um, it's not really a big priority for them, I don't think. And I sort of understand it because it is a hell of a thing to get right and a very easy thing to get wrong. And the I think the, the price for getting something wrong is quite catastrophic on it. And so I don't think – I think that obviously the, the the 
identifying terrorists, killing them, taking back territory from terrorists. We've been doing this in the US, is world class at this. You guys have been doing this now for two decades. Um, and I think there's also the Afghanistan question, which remains an important one. What is the What does the peace deal with the Taliban look like? And um, is the US going to still be in place to be able to kind of carry out its counterterrorism mission there as a result of that peace deal? So a lot of this in flux has been there's certainly been there's certainly been parts where you would give it a an A and parts of it where you would say more work to be done. Raman, I really appreciate you coming in today. Thank you. Great pleasure. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode of Heritage Explains. I've got some good news for us and some bad news for the left. This podcast is growing. More and more people are being educated on conservative policy solutions around this country and the world. So I just wanted to thank you so much for listening. Now, what helps us grow more is if we hear from you regularly. So please send us an email at managingeditor at heritage.org. That's managingeditor at heritage.org. Or you can just leave us a comment uh, wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, And also, I know a lot of you are listening to us on YouTube now, so thank you so much for doing that. Let us know how we can make this better. Michelle is going to be on next week. She's got a brand new episode, and we can't wait to bring it to you. So we'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rambersad.